Welcome to Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. It's the classic Jesus music radio show. It's a look back at where it all began. This is Full Circle, looking back at the beginnings of today's contemporary Christian music. Now, now, here's your host, Jerry Bryant. Hi, everybody. This is Jerry Bryant, and welcome to another edition of Full Circle, the classic Jesus music radio show, taking you back to where it all began. And on this episode, I'm going to continue my retrospective look at the life, legacy, and music of Jesus Music veteran Paul Clark. On the last episode, I covered the first five years of Paul's career, starting from 1970 through 1975. And on this episode, I'll focus on what he was up to from 1976 through 1983. For his late 70s phase, Paul surprised us with a couple of records that signaled a complete change in direction. Paul set his plow into the rich soil of his childhood R&B roots, moving his compositional skills away from guitar and to the piano for farming the new jazz R&B sound field. He joined forces with fellow Kansas City native and guitarist Kurt Bartlett and Oklahoma City musicians Hadley Hawkinsmith on guitar and bass, Harlan Rogers on keyboard, Lanny Hansen on drums, and Jim Hocanadel on saxophone. Now, Paul had met Hadley and Harlan and Bill Maxwell years earlier in Oklahoma City as the Third Street Rhythm and Blues Band, and then later they formed the jazz group Koinonia. Paul knew these musicians would be instrumental in his desired musical change. His first project for this new team was recorded in August of 1976, resulting in an album called Hand to the Plow. Paul stopped by the Jesus Solid Rock Studios recently, and so we had a long chat to catch up. And here's Paul to tell us more about this landmark record that's been firmly established in the foundation of CCM history. Full Circle. That was a big hinge on a big door in my career. Uh, I mentioned earlier about my love for jazz growing up. See, now I was growing as a musician enough that my roots were coming out. And although I loved the, the two albums they did with Paul Clark and Friends, I knew that uh, that band, those musicians, we had a signature sound, especially with Phil in the band. I mean, Phil is such a strong guitar signature that he you know, shapes the band a lot by his sound. And as much as I loved playing with Phil, I mean, he was my best, one of my best friends. I loved playing with him. His signature was so strong, it didn't allow me to put a new color on the canvas that I wanted to express. And so I had met Actually, way back in 71, when I recorded my first album, I met a guy named Hadley Hawkinsmith at Benson Sound Studios in Oklahoma City, where I was recording my album, through Jim Ford, the engineer. And I went down to a bar, and I heard the group Third Street Blues Band. It was a Third Avenue Blues Band, so play. It was Harlan Rogers, who plays piano on Hand the Plow. It was Hadley Hawkinsmith, who plays bass on Hand the Plow. It was Bill Maxwell. <laughs> it was basically all the guys that uh, became that the band that, toured with me and also toured with the Honor Crouch and Disciples. But 
that that album Hannah Plow was probably the it's probably the biggest Jesus movement impact I had and it, what inspired it was that it was in 1976 when I recorded it because from 70 to 76 was a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people getting saved right and left but I would go back to a city I'd been at a year earlier and I'd say hey where's uh, where's Bob where's Dave oh they fell away and I well, fell away how could you have that strong of a transformation of heart mind and soul and fall away and go back into the world and then I began to realize it was some of it was like the parable that Jesus talked about. The seed falls in the soil, some falls in the rocky ground, some choked up with the cares of the world. And I began to realize there's no strong fellowship, there's no strong teaching. And people are, need, you need, you need a feeding trough, you need a place to, community to work at. And so I dedicated this album uh, title to Hand the Plow, to the song Hand the Plow, to call people to not looking back, to press on, you know, in community, and my, my focus really from 75 to 80 went from being an evangelist to planting churches and building up the body of Christ. That became my vision. That Hannah Plow album is the one that really was the catalyst uh, to make that the focus of my intention to plant churches.
Paul Clark. Our special guest on this episode of Full Circle with the title track to his 1976 album, Hand to the Plow. Now, during our conversation, I asked Paul about another song on that album called Shipwreck. (laughs) This one reminds me of a mix between, well, let's say Stephen Stills on vocals and Graham Nash's piano playing. But Paul manages to make it all on his own. Now, when I mentioned that particular song, Paul lit up and began telling me about a new book he's working on based on a famous shipwreck in the Bible that the Apostle Paul had. Yeah, Shipwreck, that's a great song. Uh, And I've seen lots of shipwrecks, including things in my own life from time to time. Acts 27, I'm actually, I'm writing a book right now, Jerry, that's called uh, Small Sails in High Seas. I'm taking Acts chapter 27 and and basically using it as a template and how it applies to our life today. Because Paul makes a statement twice in that chapter. Once in the front, uh, when he's talking to the helmsman and uh, to the centurion, and he says, Men, I perceive to be loss of ship and cargo and even life if you go now. And it says the centurion paid attention to the word of the helmsman more than Paul. Well, who wouldn't? Would you trust a preacher or a sailor at sea? And they went. Of course, you know, they ended up in a 14-day disaster in the Euroclide and storm. And Paul eventually takes over again. He says this makes exact, exact same statement. You know, there'll be loss of ship and cargo. And he says, hey, I got good news. Everyone's going to be saved if we stay in this ship. You know, and even rebuke the Roman soldiers from trying to take the skiffs and put it in the water. He said, hey, you'll die. Stay in this boat. The Lord showed me through an angel that we'll all make it to land. Here's the deal. We're going to wreck. We must go aground, run aground. We're going to wreck, but everyone's going to make it. Some swimming, some on boards. And you know, there's a fabulous story because at the end of that chapter, 276 people made it safely to land. And it doesn't say they all became Christians. But you know what? Logic tells you that 276 people experienced a horrific wreck into the water and ended up on the beach. And they were all safe. And every one of those either stayed on that island in Malta, either went back to their homes, went on to Rome, whatever. But you know what? Everybody had a testimony on their lips about surviving this wreck with this pastor guy or apostle Paul guy. And uh, that has always spoken to me about the the song Shipwreck. You know, is that life will, you will, it's not a matter of if, but when, you will have wrecks in your life. But God is faithful and he will draw you along and he is more than sufficient to meet that need.
Circle. This is Jerry Bryant, and my next song is a medley of two songs in one with Paul Clark singing the song Woman and Kelly Willard, The Man That I Love. Now, Kelly Willard began singing Jesus music with a group called Seth in 1975 before going solo in 1978 with her debut album, Blame It on the One That I Love. Kelly's lent her vocal talents to more albums than I can count, or even keep track of. If you happen to have a good collection of the 70s and 80s contemporary Christian music, you're bound to find her name in the credits on more albums than you ever imagined. Now, Kelly's been a friend of Full Circle for a long time, so I wanted Paul to fill me in about his working with Kelly, the thought process behind this song structure, and his own personal life. A lot of young people are always ideological, and I was no different, and my songwriting was no different, and especially as a Christian, my songwriting wasn't any different. And uh, I certainly hoped the best for my own covenant that I made with my wife at that time, which tragically ended after 30 years. Um, but it's another story for another day. But uh, the point is, is that um, covenant power is something that comes from God. When two lives surrendered to mutual submission to one another, both people lifting the stone at the same time. That is that is what a covenant is. When you become unequally yoked, when one person is lifting and one person doesn't want to lift, you're out of balance. And uh, that's another thing that's powerful about duets is that sort of that, that, that song, Woman, the Man They Love, kind of gave both sides of the fence from the man and from the woman's part. And uh, hey, marriage is God's idea, so it's something that should be pursued. Woman, your worth is far above all precious jewels. My heart trusts in you. I know you. 
probably sung at more weddings around the world than we'll ever know. Woman and the man that I love, Paul Clark and Kelly Willard. On Full Circle, back to where it all began. This is Jerry Bryan, and just a reminder, if you've enjoyed these special shows featuring pioneer Paul Clark, well, why not let me know when you write at info at fullcirclejesusmusic.com. That's info at fullcirclejesusmusic.com. This is a listener-supported radio show featuring the classics of early Jesus music. Thanks for your support. Well, I'm going to dig deeper into the musical disc from Paul Clark into the fertile soil of his jazz R&B sound. Paul made sure that his rock roots would still be part of the hybrid sound that he was cultivating. So with the solid hand to the plow cast on hand, Paul added drummer Bill Maxwell, percussionist Keith Edwards, and synthesizer genius Richard Bug, guitarist Don Jutton, and the sassy background vocal combo of Judith Cotton and Rinda Edwards to his repertoire. Recorded in 1978, some new fruit was growing in Paul's musical field of adventure. Here's Paul reflecting on the change in the wind and how it related to his ministry. Well, uh, it was a good sequel to Hand the Plow, and that was the fact that I realized, wow, the world is changing. The Jesus movement really was over by this time. In 77, the Jesus movement hit the beach and washed out the sea. And I felt like there was a new season that was coming to the body of Christ, and uh, I wanted to write songs that would have a new power for that. I also continued to kind of pursue my love for jazz rock music. Uh, music is a, is a great gift from God, Jerry. And those of you who are listening, you know that music is perhaps the, the most powerful language on this planet. I've never been one to shy away from being willing to learn the skills of music that people in the world listen to. Because, first of all, all music comes from God. It's a gift from God. But secondly, I was, I was an evangelist. So if you want to go fishing and catch fish, you don't show... If I want to go to a rock hall... To a, to a major rock crowd and try to influence them for Christ, I'm not going to show up with an accordion band. <laughs> it's not going to work. That'd be great at a polka festival, but not in that pool. In the pool that I was fishing in, I needed uh, I needed bait on my hook that was relevant. So Change the Wind was pretty much keeping with. I listened to people like Steely Dan and, and groups like that that influenced me musically. I thought, I can learn those chords. I can play that style. And I started... I started developing a, a musical style around what people were listening to. Because uh, really, the music is just the bed for you know the, the message to lay in. And the message is what I was focused on. I was learning God's Word more and more and more and trying to use catchy ways to preach the gospel of Christ and in truth without compromise or watering it down and trying to use a musical bed that would get people's attention. I was, I was Back then, I was scorned a lot, to be honest with you. I was actually scorned and, and kind of rebuked a lot by even Christians that said, you know, hey, you know, there's there's a limit to this thing. You have you're so much into the beat and these back rhythms and you know, jazz instruments and you're you're you sound like the world. And I was like, great, <laughs> thanks for the compliment.
Paul Clark and the title track to his sixth album, Change in the Wind, on the Seeds record label. This is Jerry Bryant, and, well, I'll be back and we'll hear more from Paul Clark on this special edition. And you can hear this special again, as well as part one. Log in at www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com. That's fullcirclejesusmusic.com. Full Circle is underwritten by listeners like you, who've caught the vision of recapturing the moments of early Jesus music, like Jeff and Fawn Fenton from Nashville, who sent in financial support to help us with this episode. Thanks, guys. Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. Back to where it all began, Full Circle. I'm glad you've stayed with me. Say, let's chat a little bit more with Paul Clark. Now, if you have just joined us, we've been listening to the music of veteran Paul Clark. And just so you know, this is actually the second part of a two-part special with Paul as he reminisces about those times and those tunes he brought to the Jesus Movement all those years ago. I asked Paul what was the most requested song from the Change in the Wind album, and this is what he had to say about that particular track. A track that has a timeless message for the prodigal. Uh, there's, a, there's an acoustic song that ends the album, Come Back Home, that was not jazz. That was more of my roots from acoustic guitar. That song got a lot of mileage because that song was written specifically at people that fall away from the Lord. And Come Back Home, I got a, there was a lot of mileage on that song. That was a powerful song, still is. White doesn't suddenly turn black, it goes to many changing shades of gray. Likewise, in Christian life, you don't fall from the love of God one day. That's... That's still true. Deception comes in one bite at a time. You know, Adam didn't eat the whole orchard. He took one bite. You know, so there you go. Many have walked this path 
This is Jerry Bryant, and in the course of my conversation with Paul Clark, we've touched on the Jesus movement of the 70s and how many churches just couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that guys with long hair and girls with weird clothes could be Christians. (laughs) I remember a song that Paul did on Songs from the Savior, Volume 2, called Don't Judge Your Brother by His Face. And so I asked Paul if he thought that judging or criticizing one another was still a problem in the church. And here's his response. One of the greatest cancers in the body of Christ is judging one another and looking at each other. I'll take a step further, a little more, kind of zoom in the lens since I'm a photographer. Uh, More specifically, looking and judging each other according to the flesh, thinking you know somebody by what your perception of them is. Uh, One of the biggest sins of all time, really. I mean, because a human being has no idea what another person is going through. And also, to be honest, when we judge another person, we're becoming God. And we're also judging God's work. And let me explain that real quickly. I may be going through a trial, and you meet me at a church, and I think, oh, wow, these, that guy's kind of messed up. Well, guess what? I may be in a season where God is teaching me and sanctifying me and bringing something that draws the top and purging my life is something that it's difficult that might have happened to me that he wants to save me from and rescue me from, deliver me from, and to his glory at the end of it, I am free from something while you're judging me going through a trial that God is at work and you're judging God's work and judgment. That's when we're looking at it. And uh, so that's why I don't, judgment sucks. I mean, don't, don't do it, people. <laughs> Plain and simple. God's in control. He doesn't give you a badge, a siren to run down the body of Christ and tell them everything is wrong with each other. You know, God is more than capable of sanctifying his own people in his church.
Judge Your Brother by His Face, from Paul Clark's sophomore album, as we did a little backtracking featuring a song that has a Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young feel to it, reflecting on Paul's thoughts and feelings concerning judgment within the body of Christ. I don't know what your feeling is concerning it. Maybe your church is just a little bit different, but I still think we have a ways to go. 1980 was a pivotal year in the history of CCM. The Jesus movement had officially lost its childlike innocence, and there was a growing concern for a movement that seemed to be moving more toward a a watered-down crossover entertainment more than ministry. But instead of me going on about all of this, let's hear Paul's viewpoint dealing with this topic and what he was up to at that time as he was busy working on an album called Aim for the Heart. So in that period, 1885, was definitely a, a period of, um, I'll call it musical excellence with evangelism. Uh, I, I really wanted to write music that I felt was competitive uh, with the world and that would have a floor of respect that I could preach the gospel from those songs. There's some really good songs there. Christian radio started coming on pretty strong. I had songs like Give Me Your Heart, Drawn to the Light was a big radio hit. Um, you know, some of those things were starting to come on, but I'm also going to say at this point, at the end of those four records in 85 is when I left Word Records, Mer Records, because from 885, although I was happy to be doing the music I was doing, I was also increasingly sad about the direction that the CCM music industry was going. And it's not a judgment on them or I'm not sounding like a bitter old musician, but I think by 85, I was completely burned out in the Christian music scene. Uh, one thing that always 
hurt me. I felt sorry for the Jesus movement and I felt sorry for the CCM movement uh, is that uh, even the world, uh, say like Sting, say I'm kind of the Sting of Christian music, people call me that. Uh, he's honored. Eric Clapton, Phil Kagan, back to Eric Clapton in the Christian music industry. They're honored by these young contemporary people that they know that if it were not for these people, there would be no road for them to drive their bus down. And all the, the money and the accolades and things that they've earned, they know came at the hands of somebody else. Christian music, I can be in a group of musicians, 20-year-old kids, they don't know anything about it. There's no heritage or legacy handed on. And that's a shame. Uh, that's a big shame. And, and I'll tell you why I think it's a big shame. Because the chasm came when it went from making disciples to making a show. And when the show part came on and all about the, the lights and the stages of that, it wasn't about making disciples anymore. It was about making a show. And the show basically was the image that was being presented to young kids. And today, that's why you don't have many disciple makers. You have believers that went to concerts and admired your, your top acts and stuff, but they don't know how to live a strong Christian life and they don't know how to disciple people. And that's, to me, the, one of the biggest blights on Christian music is that it stopped, it, it started, its roots were in making disciples, getting people saved and making disciples. And it stopped doing that. It became a spectator sport. And church today is a spectator sport. And that's the bottom line, you know, of, of my, my take on music. In this world where life is unfurled, I've been proclaiming your name. People don't seem to get too involved unless you Like you're going somewhere But you're like a letter with no stamps in 
Aim for the Heart, the title track from Paul Clark, with a soft rock feel to it that mirrored much of what was on the radio at the time. You're listening to Full Circle with Jerry Bryant. We're listener-supported. Through your prayers and giving, we're continuing to lift up high the name of Jesus with music about Him, Jesus music. Songs we discovered along the way during those early days of contemporary Christian music. My website is www.fullcirclejesusmusic.com. That's fullcirclejesusmusic.com. Well, I have time for one more song. In 1983, Paul recorded and released what would be his last album for the established Christian music industry before going it on his own independent release, much like another Jesus music veteran did at the same time, Chuck Gerard. The album was called Out of the Shadow, and Paul racked it up another notch through the powerful musicianship and teamwork of Carlos Rios, Leon Gayer, Mike Baird, Bill Kage, Smitty Price, Brandon Field, and Michael Fisher. And adding punch to the tracks, the dynamic background vocal blend of Paul with buddies Richard Page and Steve George from the band Mr. Mister. Here's Paul to tell us more. Full Circle. In 1982, I met Steve George and Richard Page from a band called Pages. We did some background vocal work together, and then they ended up singing on my own uh, record. And our voices really blended well together. It was a really fun recording with them, and the songs were pretty much sounded like Mr. Mr., Police, that kind of music. My style, I moved away from the jazz rock thing. And once again, if you're going to go fishing, you know, I remember one time I was fishing in Arkansas, I took my tackle box down there to the White River, and I was going to go trout fishing, and I threw everything in that river I could think of to catch trout. And finally, this old geezer guy came over laughing his socks off, really. He's kind of what you doing out here, you know? So I'm trying to catch some trout. He goes, put all that fancy, smancy stuff away. Here's a can of corn for you, sonny. He <laughs> me a can of corn, and I think I caught 80 fish in about two hours. I couldn't throw it in fast enough, you know? And you got to know, when you're fishing for something, you got to know what the fish are biting on. And that's, once again, I sacrificed my jazz roots, my, my jazz, my love of jazz. That music was going out of fashion, and I thought, what are people listening to? I listen to police and standing here like that and my voice also because I'd gone to piano I'd now learned how to write in every key as possible and I found a niche in my voice that a range I really never discovered on guitar before and now I was back playing guitar and I was able to play in those keys that I'd learned on piano and I found a voice and a range in my voice that had a lot more beef on it I was a guitar player I sang very high uh, my whole Christian career after that the first 10 years uh, high keys and very clear voice. You know, when you look at a piano string, the higher you go up, the, the, it doesn't resonate as much. It doesn't, doesn't bend as much, you know. And so you have a straighter, clearer note. The lower note goes, you watch a piano, it moves back and forth, cycles per second, A440. And I found the lower I went with my voice, <laughs> now, uh, I had a lot more husk underneath it, a lot more power.
our last song on this episode of Full Circle in which I've been featuring the words and music of Paul Clark. And if you'd like to check out what Paul's up to today or purchase some of his past albums, you can go to his website at www.paulclarkmusic.com. That's paulclarkmusic.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and let your light shine. This is Jerry Bryant. Full Circle is recorded in the Jesus Solid Rock Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Written by Russell Baum and engineered by Jeff Kane. Full Circle is a JSR production. This is Full Circle.